4: Looking for a special gift for that fag in your life? Whoa,
5: whoa, 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 whoa. Get that friend of Armstrong and Getty some a merch. Ah!
4: New for 19, our latest a logo tees, hoodies, and more. The Punch Violence in the Face t-shirt or the
5: Castagot Redendo Morris tee is
4: available. The Yo, Yo, Yo and the updated Stupid Should Hurt tee. The new Cal Unicornia state flag tee. We even brought back our classic AG ketchup and mustard logo.
5: Buy them now at the Armstrong and Getty Superstore. Find it at armstrongandgetty.com.
6: A movie theater in Washington was evacuated after (laughs) highly contagious urine samples were delivered to the wrong address. What was the right address? That's funny. Um, welcome to the Armstrong
4: and Getty Show. I do want to talk about movies in a little bit, and TV and stuff, because the Golden Globe announcements are out, or nominations are out, and uh, the way we watch movies has changed quite a bit. Saw some data on that over the weekend. Uh, I was planning to talk about the Washington Post story about the war in Afghanistan, which is a blockbuster. It's out today. U.S. officials misled public about Afghan war. Confidential documents reveal this is one of those giant letters, front page, should get the nation's attention sort of pieces of journalism. The secret history of the longest war in our nation's history. But I'm not going to talk about it because we got the actual author of the story, Craig Whitlock, coming up in a few minutes, in about 10 minutes. So I'm happy he's going to spend some time with us. It's very maddening. I've been reading through it all morning long. It just hit about the time um, uh, we got up this morning. And I've uh, been reading through it. So we'll talk to Craig in a little bit. But the long and short of it, we got lied to from the get-go for 18 years through three presidential administrations by all levels of bureaucracy about what we are trying to accomplish and how well it was going. And it's uh, it was pretty maddening.
5: It, it is. The, the idea of uh, information as a weapon of war is ancient. I mean, you always want to project that you're winning. You don't want to empower and, uh, and energize your opponent. And and I get that, I understand that, but at some point there has to be truth telling. The truth telling has to get to the top. And then the top has to have the balls to do the right thing. How did nobody
4: resign? Tr- That's a, you know we're gonna to talk to the reporter who 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 did this story coming up, but how did nobody resign? You got this guy who was the Afghan czar. He was the guy running the whole thing. He's the point person for everything. Quoted as saying, What are we doing here? We're not accomplishing anything. How do you not resign when you're that guy under Obama and Bush? And say, Look, (sighs) hey, American people, we're not accomplishing anything. We have no agreed upon goals.
5: Right, right. And go wall to wall New York Times, Washington Post, all the alphabet networks, and the rest of it. No, I don't. I, I think, you know, once you find yourself in the middle of something and you know all the players and. And you have sympathy with them, and I just, I don't know, people's uh, morals drift. They just do. But, uh, I agree it's outrageous, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's just over and over through history. You know, I don't remember enough from college, given what I paid, which was actually very reasonable by today's standards. But one of the things that really struck me is somebody pointing out that democracies are terrible at ending wars. Hmm. Because there's national pride at stake. If you're the loser, you're not going to get reelected or your party won't get elected. And so they go on and on and on with continual promises that we will be victorious. Whereas a, a more dictatorial regime can just say, didn't work out, it's over, you don't like it, say so, we'll execute you. You know, and they just end it. Right.
4: Uh, Anyway, we'll talk to Craig Whitlock, the author of that Blockbuster article coming up. That should be getting the bulk of attention on the cable news channels and everywhere else today, but impeachment is going to. And then as soon as that IG report comes out on the uh, genesis of the Mueller investigation and all that sort of stuff, um, then that's going to take over. Um,
7: Golden Globe nominations out. The headline is Netflix Leads the Way. Uh, yes, Netflix has 17 nominations, uh, two ahead of the second place network, which is HBO's 15.
4: And then with movies, a particular, um, uh,
7: a particularly noteworthy year for Netflix. Three of the top five uh, best motion picture drama nominees are Netflix movies: Marriage Story, <laughs> The Irishman, and The Two Popes.
5: The Irishman. It's a beautifully made movie, but at least twenty minutes too long. Uh-oh, other flaws. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost four hours long. <laughs> Everybody got time for that? That's astounding, though. Three out of the five are Netflix productions. Yeah. At this point, though, Sean, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be at least as legitimate to look at Netflix as a studio as opposed to a content provider? well, I don't know what would I say as a streaming service? Well, I mean, they're they're twentieth century fox.
7: A- absolutely. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think they are they would admit that. they are very much in the business of making more content in large part because as companies realize that they Netflix created a billion dollar empire off of their table scraps, People stopped giving them the rights to stream their stuff, so they had to start making their own.
4: Well, and the right. interesting thing that they put the, the Irishman, for instance, in theaters only so they could qualify as a movie. Um, what is a movie? A long TV show that there's one episode of that I watch on Netflix. Does that count as a movie? No, it's not a movie unless it's in a theater. Is obviously stupid.
5: Well, right, and theaters exist because people don't have screens at home that they can watch, uh, you know, with big pictures and good sound. I mean, theaters are an anachronism in themselves, so yeah, the, the idea that that's a must for something to get an award, that it be in a theater, that's just silly well, at this you, point. And but.
4: you take it even further, as I came across some of this Netflix data over the weekend that I thought was really interesting around The Irishman. So Netflix has the ability, um, uh, obviously, to know exactly who is watching what show for how long. They know the demographics of the people who watched The Irishman over Thanksgiving weekend like I did, and at what point you tuned it out and then came back and watched a little more, or did you ever finish the whole thing? D- mm. Down
7: to the second. They know yeah. when you lose interest in a movie or TV
4: <clears throat> show. And that, I'm sure, is going to play a role in movies in the future, I would think. For instance, with The Irishman, the large percentage of people that didn't watch the whole thing in one sitting. Like me, I mean, because I, I mentioned on the air that, you know, I watched it in chunks over several days and Sean joked, yeah, just like Scorsese mm-hmm. designed it. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the 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 director in the past, at least, would assume you're going to sit down and watch this uh, all at one time. But that's not what people are doing. And I wonder if they start adjusting movies for that.
5: You know, we, we should probably say for folks not familiar with it, that The Irishman is a three and a half hour biography of the great Mickey Rooney. The song and dance man of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Right, His loves and losses, and it's just absolutely beautifully done. The plucky little fella. <laughs> Great American. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Judy, I'm binging two shows right now. One with my wife, one as I recover from the surgery uh, without her. Uh, folks have been brow-beating me on both these. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. You're finally catching I am... up
4: on According to Jim?
5: I am I am finally watching The Man in the High Tower on the Amazon Prime Video which is like Netflix. Um it's uh, the Nazis won World War II.
7: I know oh, one really? of those alternate history things what if the Oh wow. Well. Right and it's um and it's 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 beautifully
5: done. It's the the the, uh, the, the resistance essentially. Uh their efforts. Um the, the, actually the West Coast is uh, run by Japan in this uh, drama. Uh, One of the more enjoyable things about it is they use all of that. It it takes place in the very early 60s. The war was lost, you know, like 15, 18 years ago. And, and, you know, the U.S. is being administered by the Nazis and the Japanese. But anyway, they use all of the, uh, the ethnic slurs of that time. Which is it's it's fun to hear them because one dare not use them. Well, it's for fun. instance, it's fun in, to hear them. I have a good of time, of time when I hear
7: ethnic slurs. <laughs> Man, <laughs> time. No, it's, Man it's, in the it's, High it's, Tower. I like the slurs, <laughs> says Joe Getty. <laughs> well, no, it's just that they evidently
5: don't. Nobody is protesting them. For instance, using the term "Jap," and so it's used all the time, and and you don't hear that even in stuff trying to be period authentic a lot of the times because people are so freaked out. But and the other. <laughs> One. Uh, Roger Jackie Ebert
4: says it's a uh,
5: motion picture for our time. Joe Getty says it's
4: fun to hear the slurps.
5: <laughs> it's just fun to hear somebody who's got the creative balls to go ahead and be historically accurate. Right. And not be cringing in fear. And uh, Judy and I are, are watching Yellowstone together, which actually, uh, which uh, also happens to be on Amazon Prime. Jack, it's like a soap opera with horses and shooting and politics. Okay. Uh, but it's really, really good. Uh, Kevin then, Costner, the star of that video. There's
6: just so
4: much content out there.
5: Oh, it's astounding. And it's of cinematic quality. I mean, every single episode, in terms of the production and the writing and the acting and everything, is... Whoops, I got my alarm going off. I get to take more pain drugs. Um, uh, all of the uh all of the, That's the, the monkey the, in the production your back, elements. ringing the bell? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm totally off of the... Uh, Uh, The opioids? Oh, that's fantastic. I kicked them over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, they're absolutely killing me. Um, And and I graduated from Walker to Kane to now I only use the Kane about a third of the time. I'm just walking, walking. There you go. It's coming along. But anyway, uh, yeah, the, the amount of really, really good entertainment is almost dizzying. You don't know which to go with.
4: We need plenty of time for Craig Whitlock of the Washington Post with a blockbuster story out today on how we've been lied to uh, the entire time during the war in Afghanistan by multiple administrations.
5: Yep, yep, yep. And very, very quickly, speaking of our, our efforts in Afghanistan, uh, well over $700,000 from you, good folks, for Warrior Foundation Freedom Station by the end of the day, Friday. Thank you. You're great.
4: Yep. Stay tuned. This is going to be big stuff coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
8: The Armstrong and Getty
6: Show. Well,
4: we've been saying all day long that the wrong story is going to get most of the headlines. That is impeachment and or the um, Inspector General report coming out. The biggest story in America should be the Afghanistan papers that are out in the Washington Post. U.S. officials misled public about Afghan war. Confidential documents reveal: for 18 years, we were misled or lied to, uh, which, which I'm not surprised by, but I'm still very angry about.
5: Craig Whitlock is an investigative reporter for the Washington Post, and we are very grateful that Craig carved us out a couple of minutes today uh, on the day of the release of this blockbuster story. Craig, how are you, sir? Very good. Thanks for having me. Well, oh, it's our pleasure.
4: <sighs> I'm I'm so mad reading through this. Um, we We had been saying on the air for years, what are we trying to accomplish? I, it doesn't look to me like we have a goal. It seems to me like if we left today, it'd be the same result as if we left five years from now or five years ago. Turns out behind the scenes, they were saying the same sorts of things, right?
8: That's right. I mean, those are pretty basic questions. And you'd think people in position of power would have been asking them. And it turns out they weren't. They didn't have very good answers. And this has been going on for many, many years. They didn't know why we were there, how it would end or how we would get out.
4: How did you get this information?
8: So this started over three years ago. I'm I'm a slow reporter, I guess, but we, we filed Freedom Information Act requests with an obscure government agency called the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan. We'd heard they'd done an interview with Michael Flynn, the retired Army general. This was back in 2016, and Flynn was in the news, of course, for his support of Trump during the presidential campaign, but we had heard Flynn had given this long, uh, very blunt interview about Afghanistan and the war there. So we put in a public records request, and uh, we thought we were going to get it, and we had to file a lawsuit, and this agency really dragged its feet for three years. It turned out that in addition to the Flynn interview, there were hundreds more, and so we had to sue and file more Freedom Information Act requests for those two, and it just... It took a long time to pry them loose out of the government. They didn't want to cough them up.
5: Well, it's encouraging in a way, Craig, that those documents exist at all. There seemed to have been a serious effort to understand what our strategies are, how they're working, and and whether they're likely to bear fruit. It's just that once many of those answers or preliminary answers were learned, they were buried, which is frightening.
8: Well, that's right. And the context of this, this was a a special project that this inspector general for Afghanistan had started in 2014. And the timing's important because in 2014, everybody thought the war was coming to an end, right? Uh, Obama had said, I'm going to pull all U.S. troops out by the end of my presidency. Uh, And that's where people thought things were going. We were drawing down the number of troops there. So they thought they'd do this project and interview hundreds of people to see what went wrong in Afghanistan so that, you know, in the future, if we ever got stuck in another war, we wouldn't repeat the mistakes. But, of course, it turned out we we didn't leave Afghanistan, and Obama left several thousand troops there, and Trump sent several thousand more, and the war is still going on. So these were these were lessons that were not learned, and subsequently the government was trying very hard to, to keep them suppressed, as you pointed out.
4: Do you get any sense that there was... Um... Much difference in the attitudes behind the scenes in the Obama administration versus the Bush administration, or did it just uh, once you got at the level of the military kind of be the same direction of let's just keep stumbling along, doing our best?
8: I think both of them were trying to, to operate the war as best they knew, but what was striking is behind the scenes – Both of them are equally guilty of not being forthcoming with the American people about how things were going. I mean, we went back and we separately we got these memos that Rumsfeld had written, thousands of them, from an outfit called the National Security Archive, which is a nonprofit group that had sued the Pentagon to get these memos Rumsfeld had written. There's one back in April of 2002. So six months after the war started, he writes a memo to several generals and he says, I may be impatient In fact, I know I'm a bit impatient, but we are never going to get the U.S. military out of Afghanistan unless we take care to see that there is something going on that will provide the stability that will be necessary for us to leave. Then he ended it with one word. He said, help, exclamation point. Again, this is back in 2002. Wow. And Roosevelt saying, we're never going to get the troops out. Uh, Oh, that's incredible. Right and that's a guy but, but you know nobody was told this back then
4: and he was a vietnam era guy so he he understood how that momentum happened that inertia
5: Right. Craig Whitlock is on the line of the Washington Post. Craig, it's, it's disturbing if uh, the generals or the politicians say, uh, you know, we have X number of this and we have pacified this uh, amount of square mileage and therefore it's clear we are making progress. I mean, if, if if their example is not good evidence, that's disturbing. But if the evidence itself was faked up, that's just extra galling. And according to your article... Uh, down to the lowest level, a lot of the statistics were being faked up. That's right. And,
8: you know, to be honest, I wasn't shocked by that. I covered the Pentagon, the U.S. military for several years for the post, particularly during the Obama administration. For that, I was a foreign correspondent. And we would get told all the time by commanders, uh, you know, that they were making progress. And they would couch it by saying that, you know, it's a tough fight and there's going to be setbacks. But they would throw out these statistics all the time, and they always, they always seem cherry-picked, you know, one's, you know, meant to show a certain certain portrait. Uh, but to see people admit in these interviews, these confidential interviews, that, yeah, we, we did doctor them up, we distorted the statistics, we only pulled the ones that made things look good, and we buried the others, and we funneled these all the way up to the White House like that, you know, it's right. one thing to see it in black and white, them admit it.
5: Craig, a thousand apologies. We are up against a hard break. But this is some some serious, great journalism. It's stuff the American people ought to be reading. and, uh, And we thank you not only for the work you did, but your time today, man. Thanks. Thank you. Take care.
4: Yeah, I got another quote or two I want to hit you from uh, Craig's story. That should be getting all the attention today. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, dropping the B word
6: at today's impeachment hearings. Legal scholar. Somebody called somebody a bitch? Legal scholar Alan Dershowitz warning to Democrats. And science says the new diet A and G have been on really, really works. Oh, cool.
4: So, somebody on the text line made an excellent point about the big article in the Washington Post today about the war in Afghanistan, a bipartisan revealing of how both Obama and Bush administrations misled us on the war in Afghanistan. Let me hit you with a quote here from Douglas Lute. He was the Afghan war czar under Bush and Obama. Point man for the whole thing. We were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't, right. we didn't know what we were doing. If the American people knew the magnitude of this dysfunction, 2,400 lives lost. That's what he was saying behind the scenes. We got this text. It'll be interesting to see how Joe Biden reacts to the Afghan story and Obama's role perpetuating the lie. I guarantee you, there's video out there of Joe Biden as a good vice president on the campaign trail or someplace in a yeah. speech talking up some fake numbers, that they're going to be able to point to the actual documents in this Washington Post story and say, that wasn't true, dude. Did you know it wasn't true? Did Obama know it wasn't true? That's guaranteed something he's going to have to answer for.
5: Yeah, yeah. And, And, And should, by the way. And this definitely shines a little different light on Trump's continual vows to get us out of never-ending foreign wars and makes it all the more admirable. I will point out, we are still there. Oh, yep, yep. Still yep. trying to figure out what to do, and we're three years into his administration. The guy who was or, in almost. charge of the whole thing said, what are we doing here? Right. That's freaking amazing. And what's frustrating is that we've been having this discussion for years and years and years and never gotten any satisfactory answers because there aren't any satisfactory answers. The nature of Afghanistan as a civilization, as a people, as a country, being what it is, is there any conceivable chance that we will build it in some, into some sort of functioning modern state? And the answer is no. And those in power have known it all along and have been asking the same question and answering it all along. We're not making any progress.
4: Now, that ceased to be the goal a long, 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 long time ago. What the hell is the goal? Nobody knew, including the person in charge, which is uh, really frustrating. Um, if you weren't listening earlier, Marshall Phillips announced his retirement. He is leaving at the end of the year. He's leaving the business at the end of the year. We'll talk more about that later. But right now at the news, Marshall Phillips.
6: Uh, hearing the lay out the evidence in the impeachment inquiry against President Trump is going on in the House Judiciary Committee. Top Democratic attorney Barry Burke accused Trump of betraying his oath of office by pressuring a foreign government to interfere in the 2020 election. And the top Republican lawyer, Stephen Castor, says Democrats are orchestrating an effort to upend the nation's political system.
4: To impeach a president who 63 million people voted for over eight lines in a call transcript is baloney.
6: During the latest
4: <laughs> baloney. baloney. I call it um, baloney. they During... kind of like these Jack Black or something.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Here, a replay.
4: To impeach a president who 63 million people voted for over eight lines in a call transcript is baloney.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Who's that? Is that the Republican lawyer guy? Yeah, that's Stephen Castor. Right. Okay. okay.
6: Anyway, during the uh, latest House impeachment uh, hearing, Castor accused the Democrats of being obsessed with impeaching the president, and the arguments between the lawyers continued through the morning.
4: This will get so much more attention than the fact that we were lied to about the war in Afghanistan, and that troubles me greatly.
5: Yeah, I know, I know, absolutely. Uh, that was I was so troubled as we were discussing that, because I have a feeling that the cable news, well, all the news, will make the decision that Orange Man Bad, is a much easier story to follow. So let's just stick with that. Uh, you know, I will, I've got one bone to pick, Marshall, and it's with the entirety of the media and not just you um, that uh, Donald Trump uh, asked the Ukrainians to interfere with the next election. That is leaping way ahead. It's ascribing a motive. Why don't we get back to what journalism used to be and say, Trump is being uh, impeached, for demanding the Ukrainians investigate the Biden family's business in Ukraine, which is what he wanted. Now, if you said... and some believe that was for the purpose of damaging Joe Biden's candidacy. But to state as fact that that was his primary motivation, I don't think it was. But well, that's just, just me.
6: I just wanted to jump back in there because what I said was the top Democratic attorney, Barry Burke, accused Trump of betraying the
5: oath of office, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I sit corrected. There
6: you go. So so who is that? Is that the Republican
4: lawyer guy? I believe so, <laughs> yes. So there's a video making the rounds right now mocking the Republican lawyer guy for what he used for a brief case today so you know the, the the media attention on this thing is I- insane so he walks in there's cameras ever and everywhere and guys in dark suits and expensive looking tables and briefcases and he's got this big tote
7: bag this big green tote bag and <laughs> start pulling his stuff out of it looks like a reusable grocery bag yeah. from like a, a boutique market yeah it looks like a whole foods reusable
4: grocery bag big wow. giant green tote bag somebody tweeted hey you bringing your briefcase today for your nationally televised impeachment hearing right no, 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 I'll be fine with this. I mean, it, looks,
7: it looks incredibly silly. Oh, man. I can't wow. like get a beat on this guy. He strikes me as somebody who has got, like, body-swapped like Tom Hanks did in the movie Big. He's, he's like a 12-year-old of it. It's John, that's baloney.
6: <laughs> Meanwhile, legal scholar Alan Dershowitz is warning the Democrats are setting up an unending round of impeachments. Because of the open ended criteria the party is using to impeach President Trump. They have created open ended criteria which bear no relationship to the words of the Constitution itself. And if. President Trump is impeached, it will set a terrible precedent, which will weaponize impeachment, and the next Democrat who gets elected will be impeached because they'll find an abuse of power. It's hard to find any president, modern president, old president, that can't be abused, can't be accused of abuse of power. Dersowicz going on to say, how many foreign policy decisions have been made by presidents over the years in order to help them get reelected? If we start making that
5: an impeachable offense... There will be no presidents left. Hey, a Positive Sean, were you able to grab that tape that I was looking for? Sent you the link to? Uh, not
7: yet. I'll have that for the next break.
5: Yeah, see if you can do that for the next segment. Um, the, uh, the part of the hearing last week that I don't think got nearly enough attention, uh, all sorts of historical examples of things like this happening over and over again, every administration, uh, and they happen behind the scenes, we'll, we'll get to that. I guarantee you will find it notable.
6: Limiting when you eat each day to a 10-hour window can indeed have benefits for weight loss. 10
5: hours, you pig?
6: I'm on a 6-hour window. A study published in Cell Metabolism followed people doing this for 3 months and it found if they only ate between the hours of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. in this case and then stayed hydrated the other 14 hours, they experienced at least a 3% reduction in weight within 3 months. And they could go during the times they could eat. They could eat whatever they wanted to eat.
4: That's basically what I'm doing. If I, if I were doing it right, I would be eating well during the period I eat. But I eat whatever I want during the hours I can eat. And I'm losing weight doing it. It's yeah. the best that ever worked, but everybody's body's different. Who knows?
5: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I did it for quite a while and uh, didn't hate it. Uh, and uh, but 3% seems about right because I'm roughly, I'm a little under 200 pounds. And I lost about 6 pounds. And then it just kind of stopped.
6: Stopped do.
4: Stopped working. Stop
5: losing weight. yeah. Interesting. And yeah. it is.
4: A, it's a lifestyle change. I don't eat till about twelve thirty one o'clock every day. Right. Uh, and uh, it's but it's gotten quite easy. I do it almost effortlessly, which would have been unimaginable years ago when I first started this. Right. The idea of not eating till eight in the morning seemed
6: impossible. Oh yeah. Yep. So, so it can be done. But again. There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, The Conscience of the Nation. Lots of texts, Marshall, from listeners saying you're not allowed to retire. So you might want to rethink
4: that thing. Uh, Marshall has announced he's retiring, and the texters are saying you can't do that.
5: I'm sorry. You need to see Yeah.
6: Yeah, some people are saying you need to do ten push-ups before you retire. Oh, my God.
5: Well, he'll work. Work till his final day. I'll
6: be immortal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow.
5: Do you find retirement
6: scary
4: at all, or uh, just exciting?
6: I find it both. Both? Yeah, yeah. no, it's scary and
5: exciting. You Uh know,
6: it's like, okay, we're going to be doing something entirely different, and then trying to figure out, what is that going to be? So, nah.
5: It's by the way, if you turn up across town working for another show, we're going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm sorry, you broke up when you were saying that. Yeah, my mic, my mic's not quite yeah, working. I, I, yeah, I lost you there.
4: When I was younger, I never thought about this. I, I Like a lot of younger people, you just think, oh, when you retire, you get to do whatever you want. But as you get older and you get locked into a certain view of yourself and a schedule, the idea of that being completely upended seems, yeah, what, what, what am I then? Exactly.
5: yep. yep. Yeah, I, I, it's funny having uh, been at home a lot, uh, following my second surgery uh, for my my groovy new aftermarket hip. Uh, <laughs> I
6: I've
5: had to I've had to abandon a certain fantasy of retirement should that day ever come and realize I am made to be busy. I yeah. am made oh, to I be know, am. taking on challenges. I just. And and I just I have, I have this vision of me sitting watching a river flow with a line in the water and free time is the devil for me. Maybe play golf now and again and
4: yeah. Free time is the devil for me.
5: Um, yeah. And I, uh,
4: there's a I don't know how many people ever watched the Larry Sanders show, but it was oh, yeah. um, he was uh, well, it doesn't matter what he was, but he was a guy who was working and he decided he wanted to retire and he bought this house in Montana and then they have an episode where he's just standing out on his deck looking out over his pond there in Montana. Sounds awesome. And then, like, it flashes to him back in Hollywood doing his job. Right. Because
6: it's like, All right.
5: <laughs> this is, I mean, how long are you going to do that? <laughs> exactly. It does sound fantastic. Yeah. But, well, yeah. and I think some people are cut out for that uh, more than others. <clears throat> I had a friend who was still working at age 77 at the time. I think he turned 78, still working. Right. And he said he's just, he's known too many people. They stop striving and they die. And he said, I'm not going to do it. Um, Again, depends how you're made. But, yeah, I I, I think you've got a pretty good... uh um, You know, set of thoughts going, Marshall, on how you're going to approach it, and I think you'll do great. So you said you don't want to find
4: yourself at 2 o'clock in the afternoon surrounded by Chardonnay bottles? That's oh. what you're trying to avoid? Well, or, well like, hey, you, you got to throw them the... in the trash as you go. I was
5: gonna,
6: the <laughs> first couple of days, that'll be
4: all <laughs> right. <laughs> a trial run. Maybe. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe hey. decide, you know, this is what I was meant to do. <laughs> maybe like Tuesday through Thursday. <laughs>
7: yeah, there
4: you go. <laughs> Oh, all right. That would be now, one of the exciting things is every day yeah. is the same. What day is today? It doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it's who cares-dee. Right. That's what day it is.
5: <laughs> well, all right. So listen. Yes. Uh, y- indeed. Yeah. Go with, with our love and best wishes. So uh, a moment from the hearings last week that kind of went away I think is absolutely worth hearing. Uh, and we'll, we'll cram in whatever we can uh, between now and the end of the hour. On the way.
8: Armstrong and Getty.
9: The Armstrong and Getty Show. There
4: are news days and there are news days. Impeachment hearings going on. IG report on the genesis of uh, spying on the Trump campaign coming out today. At least one version of it. And uh, and the Washington Post with a giant article called the Afghanistan Papers about the war in Afghanistan and how we've been uh, misled the entire time.
5: Right. Well, speaking of being a uninformed citizen and consumer of politics and the rest of it, on the impeachment thing, listen, I'm not saying there's zero basis for accusing the president of an abuse of power. Because if you if look you at you the right Hillary
4: way, to be president.
5: Yeah, exactly. If you look at it the right way, the whole thing, the call with Afghanistan, it's problematic. Okay. I admit that I'm a reasonable man, but I found this just so interesting uh, during the hearings last week. And it passed by. Of course, nobody uh, replayed it on the news because it was some it was somewhat inconvenient to the liberal narrative. But this is Republican uh, Representative Ken Buck doing a little uh, a scan of history. We'll let this roll for a while. We'll pause and discuss as needed. Go ahead, Sean.
9: So let me, let me go with a few examples and see if you agree with me. Oh, I'm me. sorry. Can uh, you pause let... it
5: right now? He's, he's uh, talking to Jonathan Turley. They have just discussed what seems to be the Democrats' threshold for impeachment. Uh, go on.
9: So let me, let me go with a few examples and see if you agree with me. Uh, Lyndon Johnson directed the Central Intelligence Agency to place a spy in Barry Goldwater's campaign. That spy got advanced copies of speeches and other strategy, delivered that to the Johnson campaign. Would that be impeachable conduct, according to the uh, other uh, panelists?
6: i It's sweet very broadly, so
9: I assume so. How about when uh, uh, President Johnson uh, put a wiretap on uh, uh, Goldwater's campaign plane? Would that be for political benefit?
6: Well, I can't exclude anything under that definition.
9: Okay. Well, I'm going to go with a few other presidents. We'll we'll see where we go. Uh, Congressman Deutsch just uh, informed us that uh, FDR put country first. Now, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he was president, directed the IRS to conduct audits of his political enemies, namely uh, Huey Long, William Randolph Hearst, Hamilton Fish, Father Coughlin. Would that be an abuse of power for political benefit, according to the other panelists? Would that be impeachable conduct? I think it all would be subsumed into it. How about when President Kennedy directed his brother, Robert Kennedy, to deport one of his mistresses as an East German spy? Would that qualify as uh, impeachable conduct? Once again, I can't exclude it. And how about when he uh, directed the FBI to use wiretaps on congressional staffers who opposed him politically? Would that be impeachable conduct? It would seem to be falling within it. And let's go to Barack Obama. When Barack Obama... Uh, directed uh, uh, or, or made a finding that the Senate was um, in recess and appointed people to the National Labor Relations Board and lost nine to zero. Ruth Boehner Ginsburg voted against the President on this issue. Would that be an abuse of power?
6: I'm afraid you have to direct it to others, but I I don't see any exclusions
9: under their definition. Okay, and how about when the president directed his national security advisor and the secretary of state to lie to the American people about whether the ambassador to Libya was murdered as a result of a video or was murdered as a result of a terrorist act? Would that be an abuse of power for political benefit 17 days before the next election?
6: Well, not according to my definition. The others will have to respond to their own.
5: So anyway, the point is... You've
9: heard their definition.
5: we We can pause that. The point is that if the question is abuse of power, that's such a broad category that... You can accuse every president, certainly every Democratic president, perhaps with the exception of the pure-hearted Jimmy Carter, um, of abusing their power in a pretty material way over the last century. And it's just too broad.
4: Yeah, the problem is uh, is I
5: hate all of those. I mean, all, oh, yeah. all,
4: all of those examples are, are things presidents shouldn't be doing.
5: Yeah, some of them, to me, are way, 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 way worse than what Trump's being accused of. And I get that it's whataboutism in a way. Sure, but that's, um,
4: that's uh, so. That's uh, Dershowitz's argument: is we'd be impeaching everybody
7: if we if we use that standard. Which... Are, are we sure that more impeachments is automatically a bad thing?
4: No, uh, Tim, the but lawyer no. would say
7: no. Yeah.
5: No. And actually, you know, it's funny because Buck, I, I see what point he was driving at, that all of your Democratic presidents have been dirty in a way that they should have been impeached. And, you know, that is that's probably worth pointing out. On the other hand, all of those examples were absolutely despicable. Um, the Obama-Benghazi thing is not quite like some of the other ones to me. Um, that's just hard knuckled, dishonest politics. Um, but if it's just, look at that, he abused his power. Turley's point and Buck's point was that that's just too broad. It's got to be more specifically illegal or wildly um, unacceptable.
4: God, I was listening to a libertor- libertarian lawyer over the weekend uh, who I have become a fan of. He said... Every president we have is the worst president we've ever had for abusing power because each president takes it a step further. They do things, get away with it, establish a precedent of you can do that, and then the next person in office takes it a little further. And that's Mm -hmm. the way we've been going now for generations, and that's almost certainly true.
5: Well, you know, the only argument I have with that is I think we've had a lot of reforms from the uh, J. Edgar Hoover, Kennedy's days. I mean, in terms of, of really reaching out and ruining people because in, they're uh, your yeah, political in that, adversaries. In that
4: particular vein, no doubt, but in other yeah. areas, executive orders that then that up getting overturned or not because they don't get challenged or right. uh, you know, along those lines.
5: Lack of transparency. Just the sure. overall exercise of power by the executive branch, yeah, it grows and grows and grows. Yeah. Yeah. True that. Well, you know what? It's, it's funny. I find this stuff so interesting, but it's ultimately sound and fury signifying nothing because, you know, it's just it's not going to go anywhere. And, uh, man, I'm looking at the Democratic field right now, and I would be shocked if Trump didn't get reelected, but as you, I said here right now.
4: Right. But you combine the impeachment stuff with the WAPO story out today about being lied to about the war in Afghanistan. Man, you got to be crazy skeptical, if not cynical, about anything your government tells you.
5: I would encourage that, my friends. Cultivate your cynicism.
1: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
0: We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Moson.